Good morning. Um, if you are new to us, welcome. My name is Josh. I'm not the normal guy to be doing this, um, but I do feel that it is a pretty huge privilege to open um, God's Word and be able to share with you uh, what God speaks to us through it. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to read, and then we're going to pray again. Um, we'll jump right in. God, we thank you so much for your word that you gave us a path, Lord, that you gave something to us, Lord, to reveal yourself. We pray, Lord, as, uh, as we venture into this passage today, God, that you will be with us and that you will direct our minds our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I'm preaching actually the next two weeks, um, and I'm going to be preaching in John 6. And we're going to go ahead and start off in the first uh, 15 verses this week. So if you can go ahead and open with me to John 6. Starting verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes and then seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One, one of his disciples, Andrew, son of Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those that were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the fragments and of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Lord, we thank you for the signs that you give us in your word. I pray that you will reveal yourself to us. In the spirit of God, please use the word of God to reveal the son of God. Jesus, amen. 
What is your staple diet? What do you eat on a regular basis? We don't really have one, do we? <laughs> in America, we, we have pretty much whatever we want to eat. So we eat everything. Most places in the world, that's not true still today. China, you're looking at you know, rice. Where I grew up, uh, we ate moose and fish, um, salmon almost exclusively. Um, but other parts of the world, it's bread. Let me ask you another question. The money you earn through your job, what does it go to? What's your biggest expense? Probably your mortgage if you have a house or rent, right? Well, where we find ourselves here when this is being written, the largest expense is food. And their primary diet was bread. Uh, it's said that possibly up to 80 to 90% of one's income would be just for food. That's staggering, right? Think about it. 80 to 90% of everything you make is just so that you can keep living. And bread was pretty much it. Um, from the research I read, that there was either for breakfast, typically somebody would have some bread on their way to work. They would go work, and they would eat bread. If you're lucky, you might have some fish if you lived near the sea, or some olives if that's kind of the area that you were in. And then for dinner, you would have like an actual meal, but again, bread would be the center of it. Now keep that in mind as we walk through this passage, okay? Go ahead and look with me at uh, verse, verse 1. After this, Jesus went up, uh, sorry, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. So this is giving us pretty basic, right? It's saying this is where we're located in this, uh, in this story. We're on the Sea of Galilee, which uh, is basically a lake. Um, so we know that. We know that there is a large crowd, a very large crowd. We see actually a little bit later, it says 5,000 men. Um, I'm sure you've heard that that's not obviously counting women and children. So there's this pretty substantial amount of people. And we know why they're there. They're there because they've seen him doing signs, as John puts it. He's been doing miracles, healing the sick, um, among doing other things. And we know when. It's, uh, it's right around the Passover feast. Okay? In verse 5, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I'm going to pause really quick. Why in the world would Jesus ask Philip? This is my first question when I was looking through this. Why is he asking Philip, where do you buy bread? I mean, 
seems like an odd question to me. I don't know. Until you start to realize that in chapter 1 is when Jesus first meets up with Philip. Where does he meet up with Philip? Right here. Right in this area. Philip is from this area. It's a very seemingly logical thing, right? Philip, you're from this area. Where do we buy bread? <laughs> so Philip says, he says this to test him. Oh, sorry, that's what Jesus says. He's, he's setting him up. Not even setting him up in like to knock him down way, but he's setting him up. It's like, who, do you, who are you going to say, what are you going to say, Philip, that's the correct answer? Where do we get the bread? Philip answers him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Wait a minute here. Did Philip answer the question? Jesus asks him, where do we buy bread? And Philip answers, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for anyone to even have just a taste. Jesus asks, where? Philip goes, I don't have the means. You don't have the means. This denarii, this amount of money that we're told, 200 denarii, is about eight months' worth of wages for one person. So you can imagine, with 90% of your income going to food and eight months' wages, he's like, oh, man, <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle this. Uh, how true is that for us, though? I, you know, I, I was thinking about my job. I do a lot of consulting work for coffee shops. And people will say, hey, well, what's a good location? And I'll go, how much money do you have? Now, what? That's not the question I asked you. I go, well, that's, that's the actual reality is you need enough for two years' worth in order to make your business fly. Philip's kind of doing the same thing here, except for there's a difference. If you were back in chapter 2, you can flip back there or not. I'm going to just kind of summarize a little bit. Um, so we have this wedding that Jesus and his disciples are invited to, and that's including Philip. He's there, and so is Andrew, who we talk about here in just a second. They're all there. They run out of uh, wine at this. Jesus' mom says, hey... They're out of wine. Jesus goes, well, what's that have to do with me? Regardless, Jesus does this miracle. He takes these large, um, I don't even know what they call jars, basically, 20, 30 gallons worth. And he tells the servants to fill it. And they fill it with water. And then he scoops them out. And he says, take this. To the master of the feast. And in verse 9 it says, When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. 
Now, if you know me, I'm really into fermenting things. It's like a, a thing I like to do. Uh, a little thing about fermentation. For anything to get fermented to any degree, you need at least seven days. Just a minimum of fermentation. But for anything to taste good in fermentation, it takes a whole lot longer. So Jesus takes water and turns it into wine. Not only wine, but choice wine, which means aged wine. Wait a minute here. Where did he get the grapes? Okay, so let's just say he had the grapes. And he crushed them somehow, and then aged it somehow for weeks. Wait, where did he get the vines for the grapes? It takes seven years for vines to start producing any kind of amount of fruit that's worth consuming. So seven years plus really several years more of aging. No, can't happen, right? Jesus takes something that's basically nothing and it turns it into more than was asked for. Much more. Much better than was ever offered in the first place. So, really, Philip should know that, right? We should know that. How many times in your life has God provided something way more than anything you expected? I think of my daughter. We prayed and prayed and prayed for her, that God would give us a child. And when we got this child, so much better than I ever thought it could be, being a dad. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) And we forget, don't we? Let's keep going. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Okay, I'm going to pause here for just a second. Um. And explain a little something else. Barley loaves are poor people food. Uh, wheat was reserved for the rich. Uh, it tastes better <laughs> as far as bread goes. Barley is the bottom of the barrel. It's not great. So, God, so Jesus uses this poor boy's food. To do this miracle. Not only that, he takes a child, and in this time in the world, it's our kids, you were not at the top of the totem pole. You were at the bottom. You were marginalized. So he took a marginalized child and his lunch to do something much more than could be ever be expected. Okay? Remember the barley loaves, because we're going to come back to that, too. Uh, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in this place. That's convenient. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated so also the fish, as much 
as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and 12 baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Whoa! Jesus took a small boy's meal. Uh, why do I say it's small? Well, they're not loaves of bread like this. In other uh, manuscripts I've, I read said that up to 20 loaves would be a man's meal. These are like wafers. It's like that kind of thing. They're small. Jesus takes this lunchable, if you will, breaks it up, hands it out, and it keeps going and keeps going until the point where we have baskets left over after everybody has just eaten their fill. Well, there's food still coming. I'm just going to keep eating. I mean, these are people that don't, you know, food is a big part of your income. And if I get a chance to eat, I'm going to eat. It's not like us, right? We're like, oh, I should probably stop eating the calories. And they're like, give me the calories. Yeah. So they eat as much and they're left over. Now, this is probably just me, but I found this passage um, when I was studying barley loaves. So if you'll flip with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, and I think actually John is intentionally pointing out that they're barley loaves for a reason. Um, to trigger in the reader's mind this passage. So what we have here is a famine in the land. Uh, we have Elisha, and he's teaching uh, about 100 prophets. Um, and I'm going to brutalize this uh, area that this man is coming from. I'm just going to tell you right now. I have no idea how to say it, so I'm just going to go with it. Starting in verse 42, it says, A man came from Balashilasha. There you go. Uh, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can we set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over, according to the Lord. We have a, a man bringing the first fruits, which would have been an offering, essentially. Uh, he's bringing the first fruits of his labor. This is the cream of the crop. And it's one man's meal. And he's bringing it just for Elisha. And God uses Elisha to turn those into enough for a hundred men. Interesting, huh? Interesting that Jesus takes a small child's meal, a marginalized child's meal, and turns it into a feast for probably over 10,000 people. Why is that? Hmm. 
Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain. So the people see a sign. John loves the word sign. He uses it for the miracles that Jesus does over and over again. The other Gospels don't necessarily use sign, but John, as far as I can tell, always uses the word sign. He's pointing out that the actual act is a signifier for something else. What is it signifying? It's a signifying that Jesus is more than Elisha. He's signifying later, we'll, next week we're going to talk about Moses. It's signifying that he's greater than Moses. So who is Jesus? Because if it's signifying that Jesus is something greater, he can do these feasts and he does these feasts. Well, what does Jesus say? Who does Jesus say that he is? Well, next week we'll even get into this, but I'm going to skip forward to the, the good part, really. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Whoa! Jesus is the bread. He is the substance that keeps us alive. He is the thing that keeps us moving. He is the bread that gives life. Not only that, he's the thing that gives us water, the other thing that we need. (laughs) And this is good news, you guys. It's really good news. Because if we had time, we could go back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, a holy being, created earth. And he made man in his image. We broke it. We said, I want to be God. We still do that today. Whatever it is that we place in front, whether it's an obstacle, a wall, if you're Philip, saying, I can't, you know, I can't provide this. Jesus is saying, I didn't ask you to provide it. He says, I am the life. So Jesus came as a substitution to complete what we could not complete on the cross. He died and he died for us and that's amazing but what's I think even cooler is that he is the life and he came back to life. He conquered death because we can't So if you're new to if if you're new to this, I, I urge you. I'm sure that you've been searching in things before. I did for years. Where am I going to find life? I mean, you know, I talked about it as meaning or whatever it was. Where is life? 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I urge you, even if you are a Christian, that the only thing we have is Christ. He is the life giver. He's the bread that you need. Even if it's just a challenge right now, maybe you have a doctor bill that you just can't afford. Maybe um, maybe there's just something in your life that is holding you back. Maybe you're depressed. I don't know. You know, I don't know what it is right now that's going on in your life, but I do know who has life. Um, And I urge you to press in towards Christ. Um, It's really all I have for us today is that um, we'll continue on this next week and some really cool passages. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go ahead and do some communion. God, we thank you so much for your son. We are broken people. And we have no means to gain life. We're set on destruction. All we do is destroy. And so, Lord, we... We thank you so much for your son that he came as a life giver and that um, through him we not only have eternal life, but we have life in abundance, more than we could ever ask for, more than we could perceive it could be. And we thank you, we thank you, Spirit, that you call us to, to Jesus so that we can have life. We thank you for your sacrifice, and I pray, Lord, as we move into a time of worship that um, we will remember who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.